0: Welcome to BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. We're joined by judges and legal professionals to discuss emerging trends, regulatory updates, and the latest headlines. We'll provide tips to help your law firms and legal departments make the most out of legal technology. Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Crafton, BDO's Forensic Technology Practice Leader. And I'm Daniel Gold, Forensics Principal and Leader of the eDiscovery Managed Services Practice.
1: Let's get started with this episode's exciting topic.
0: And welcome back to another episode of BDOS Legal Tech Talk. Uh, we are delighted to have in the virtual recording studio here today Z, who is the director of eDiscovery and data analytics for WilmerHale Discovery Solutions and a member of the securities litigation and enforcement practice. Z, welcome to the virtual recording studio. It is great to have you here today. Oh,
2: it is great to be with you, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for the invite. Uh, looking forward to the conversation.
0: As are we, Jared. You know, I was thinking about this conversation that we're going to have here with Z. And thinking to myself, you are just going to love digging into the data analytics portion of this call here today. I'm positive of that.
1: Well, you know, I love AI, Daniel. And I think, you know, our listeners aren't even convinced that I'm not AI. So it's going to be a fun one today.
0: Looking forward D- to it. Well, that was some comments that we actually got, Jared, that the, that you were actually an AI voice. There, there was some comments we got.
2: Uh, you need one of those Morgan Freeman uh, introductions of
0: synthetic Jared. <laughs> Would you be so kind to share with us about your background? Because you have a very diverse background and you have a couple of different law degrees, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes. And and when I talk to friends uh, and I introduce myself, I always say that I'm one of those overly educated lawyers, uh, one degree from overseas two from here. To make it interesting, I guess my background uh, from Georgia and and I'm sure listeners would reflect on my accent and realize it's not uh, Georgia, Georgia here in the US, Georgia overseas in in Eastern Europe, Um, grew up there, uh, former soccer player, former foreign affairs person, uh, was an interpreter, uh, one of those uh, past lives did work for various uh, international companies uh, trading in commodities, eventually moved to the US. Here I was trained and started practice as an international trade lawyer. And then like many of us in early 2000 found myself to, I discovered the discovery, let's put it that way.
1: Well, you know, Absolutely. Z and I actually go way back and we were reminiscing about this just before we started the recording. I think we first met in 2008. Is that right, Z? We were, uh, we were reminiscing about a very archaic tool, which uh, definitely did not contain any AI. You know, now that we're seeing more and more AI being adopted by the industry, is this something that you are seeing day to day now? Is this something that people are asking you about?
2: They are. It's interesting. And, 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 the genesis of that is in terms of where we are with respect to the stage of AI. And many have alluded to the fact that it's confusing for the audience in general, and whether you're talking about in the legal industry or otherwise what we mean by AI. And I think at some point we need to start as an industry, at least within legal, to define what we're talking about. So you mentioned us going back to 2008. I did my first technology-assisted review case in 2007. So a lot of folks kind of wonder about that, wait a minute, no way, you did TAR when? It was a form of TAR, obviously, early iteration. The way I like to think about it, and again, this is my own way of bucketing AI as I'm talking to the teams or as I'm using myself, I kind of try to put it into five categories. And um, if it will be helpful, I'll use an example. I was at the a, 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 a social event and someone who is not in legal, who is not in technical part said, hey, what's with this fascination? Everybody's talking about a generative AI and et cetera. Can you tell me very simply where we are? And what came to my mind was using the music industry analogy, right? Uh, now you you said we met in 08, so we already dated ourselves. Um, we go back um, quite a bit and growing up overseas and I started with record player, cassette player, and et cetera. So if you think of that aspect of it, let's say a, a song, right? Here are the five categories, the way I think of um, the technology and AI, which is, Speeding up content is one. Organizing content is two. Exploring known content, three. Exploring unknown content, four. And then generating content is five. So if you go back to that song, if you recall, in order for you to listen to something really particular, you wanted a, a, an artist's song and you said, wait, 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 wait for this word. It's a really cool word in the song. You had to wait forever. Now, whatever streaming device you're using can say, hey, whatever, play this song and pick up at this juncture. That's your speeding up content, and we've been doing this, right? Then, now, if I say I love Ray Charles, I can have entire digital Library of Ray Charles songs organized. Um, and then I can explore that content, say, play all Ray Charles songs, or Holiday, right now, we're in the holiday season, play all Ray Charles holiday music. But then, then there is a fourth category, the unknown exploration. I can also say, I love Ray Charles, and here are the songs. Can you suggest a new artist that I'm not aware of? I think conceptually, was it Einstein who said that it, it just become what is it, appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity is the fifth category, which is generating content. And this is where we're struggling to wrap our heads around it because now it's not speed up and deliver music and explore unknown music. It's a now grow right music. So I think this is where that has really notionally completely turned things upside down because there is inherent concern have we pushed. The limits of technology and AI, where it's really crossing the concepts of humanity.
0: So you have hit a topic that is that it explores multiple areas, and and I'd like to unpack just one part of it for a moment. You're talking about 2008 with the start of you know artificial intelligence, right? And and I think if, I'm, if i if my memory is right, Aquivio filed their patent back back then and uh, before we did recording you and I spoke and we talked about some of this and you've got some experience there. But when we really talk about AI though, I mean, let's talk about the speeding up and organized content and exploring known and unknown. We're talking about AI was invented in 1956 at the Dartmouth conference. I think people forget about the fact that this has been around for a very long time and that this is somewhat relatively new. But why is it newish, if you will, for legal professionals? Why does it feel like this is something new?
2: So uh, absolutely right. Uh, when you go back to thinking about technologies and and how it was advancing and set, setting aside a legal industry you know playing checkers and then playing Gary Kasparov right um, Watson and then now Chinese go, which is much more difficult, right because of the all the sentiment aspects and the way it has to replicate human thinking um and now now we computers beat Go. I think w- w- when you ask me the question, how, why is this different for legal professionals, this is my personal opinion, obviously, look at it from this angle. Jared said, well, "Was going back to 2008, was discovery ever a sexy topic? No. Was it for a legal professional, a way to advance in any, whether in a company or a law firm, et cetera? No, it was just a role that was created because of necessity. And there were not many folks who said, I want to grow up to be any discovery professional, whether it's the legal side or the technical support side. It was not in the legal industry, the use of Todd and early AI in any way disturbing the balance of fact finders and merits, right? If you were going th- kind to of think about the discovery council, merits council. Again, generative AI is hitting a very different topic. It is not extracting just the facts to get them quickly to you which was left more to discover the professionals. Now it can draft motion for summary judgment. Now it can do legal research and on and on and on and on. It's attacking every aspect of legal profession. And I think this is kind of has woken up the um, legal industry from that perspective, wait a minute, what do our attorneys in the future look like? What does legal education in law schools look like? How do you prep new generation of folks who are coming into the industry uh, whatever the role is to interact with the data, um, and then so that's one I, specific to the legal industry. It's again the core merits aspect of it is impacted by the gen AI. The other one, it gets just simple, is if I sat down with my children and said that they probably still would say, I don't understand what my father does in terms of a discovery. Now when they hear me talk about gen AI, they're like, Oh yeah, I, I, okay, there you're dealing with that. I get it. So there is that more every person at a dinner table so to speak conversation so you take those two worlds whether the micro legal or macro in the world it's fascinating in everybody so back in 2007 when you were first you know using tar
1: and socializing tar was the conversation more around you know educating people you know this is coming this is what we have to do where now is the conversation more about here are the risks slow down you know, is it a different conversation now than it was back then, or are you finding yourself having the same conversation with folks around AI?
2: That's a great question. Uh, a lot of things are similar. Um let me name a few. One is lack of predictability. It was that. It was there then. It, it's here now, which is the traditional model was, I have one hundred thousand documents. If you put twenty people per document, hours, et cetera, I'll finish in twenty days, whatever it is. That is for traditional lawyers, something that they can discern easily. With the early tard, we say, look, I know it's going to be more efficient. It's going to be less expensive, but I don't know exactly when I'm going to be done. That uncertainty is not something because of us as lawyers and legal industry being risk averse, something that people want to tolerate. And it's hard for them to wrap their mind around it. But and you're having exactly the same conversation now. That's kind of similarity. The other one, and this is I have spoken in other venues, is to say, folks, let's not repeat with the Gen AI the same mistake we made with TAR, which is confuse folks, either oversell or undersell, what it actually does, that this is not some magic button. Uh, You still have to have a lot of different skills as an attorney, as a technical professional to interact with that. So there are a lot of those conversations. In terms of what's different, I think we have at least reach the stage where there are enough outside, even like if I'm talking from the kind of internally law firm perspective, that I can point to a lot of examples where this has been done, it has been done successfully and alleviate some of those concerns. Um, we're not there with the Gen AI yet. Right? You still need those. There are people who are doing case studies, how does it compare to contract attorney review versus the internal team review versus typical predictive you know, coding models versus LLM. So, I think where we are slightly better position is it is more accepted, less trepidation about it, but a long way to go. And again, I want to stress, we could be exactly where we were with Todd. How many years now we've been doing Todd and there are so many barriers still yet.
0: Let's again, let's not repeat the same mistakes. That's my key here. So you said, let's not undersell it. Let's not oversell it. Let's say exactly what Gen Gen AI does. So how do you sell it then? It's another
2: powerful tool in your toolbox. And people always kind of ask me that question. And when you, they get into these databases, look, I got 85 things here, you know, social network analysis, clusters, email domain. I mean, there are a lot of things, right? And my first question to them, what are you trying to accomplish? Because at the end of the day, let's not change tire with a screwdriver. so, way I explain it, it's, it's an extremely powerful new tool that we have to be cautious how we use it. But at the end of the day, it's about the result and validating it. Stop obsessing with the process. I think this is the mistake we made with TAR. Even though you had the Silvermore decision and even says nobody cares about what the black box is, there is still a fight about the black box. Um, so, the way we, I, I try to explain is that you may have a case not every case where these can be deployed and get you to the facts even faster than you would have done with the other tools in your
0: toolbox but in some case aren't you making the same argument though that we made with tar that you know that we're going to get to things faster that the results are going to be there and it looks good i mean ultimately would you agree that we are going to be at a point in the not too distant future where we're actually going to argue about what prompts were being leveraged mm-hmm. that would may potentially bias the outcome of the Gen AI? I, so that's interesting.
2: There are so much that one can elaborate there, right? Uh, first of all, depends on the language model. Is the language model backed up by federal and statute and case law, et cetera? Because if you were to ask, was there, if you took a data and said, was there inside a trading? Well, is this the insider trading the definition in English language? Is a definition legal? Is a definition international? Right? So I think I completely agree with the prompts are, and the queries are going to be a debate, is it work product, depending how you frame it, how you ask it. And um, the danger is also somebody coming in and saying, well, now I want to sit down in front of your Gen AI tool and ask questions. Is that something that one would want to permit? So yes, to some extent, those conversations are not different. You're getting faster. But think about, and this is where I think notionally, I'm having a little bit of a challenge. As an industry, we have written a lot of best practices about TAR. I, again, and I'm sure I could have missed this, but I yet to read somewhere anyone saying that, let's say you have 100,000 documents. How many can you review to say I'm done? What if i have three case scenarios and in one on review 500 documents in one 5000 in one only five documents is five documents or not right and we don't talk about that what is not to or, you know go to the federal rules here but there is we operate under the standard of reasonable inquiry it's not perfection it's reasonable inquiry so is five documents versus 5000 reasonable inquiry so now put that on steroids and go to Gen AI tools and say, you know what, I'm not even gonna review documents. I'm just gonna say, why don't you tell me everything in this database, what is relevant and what is not relevant? Is that gonna meet the reasonable inquiry standard? So I think this is where it's a bit different because with Todd, you're still having these negotiation search terms, no search terms, uh, and validation models, what did you review, richness, all of those. Those, all those things, depending where we go and how fast LLMs get accelerated and how fast those LLM models get actually for lack of a better expression, industrialized into the platforms, we could be having a very different conversation in terms of what a reasonable inquiry is.
1: You sound like a man who's ready to go argue this in front of a judge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we had this conversation recently at, 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 at a conference, and um, I, these were all the things that, um, among many, right, I, I talked about work product, what about evidence? How, mm-hmm. What evidence, how are you going to be substantiating this? Yeah. We have experts who testify to right now to tar who is gonna be the expert? Because a lot of these models are being leveraged by some of the large corporations have already developed. So right now, many of the large models sit with a few. Unless you have large model, who are you bringing in as an expert? And and that yet to be developed. I don't think we have yet enough experts right now in the industry to say, you know when I'm about to go use Gen AI and to do my case, can you please come and testify or help me authenticate? And that's, I mean, that's, that's gonna be, issues that judges and are going to uh, grapple
0: with. What is the overwhelming opinion? So you're involved in, in a lot of, I'll call, elite e-discovery think tank groups, right? And I'm curious because I've been thinking a lot about this lately myself about how the federal rules of evidence applies to Gen AI. So let's use an example. So I'm typing some prompts into Gen AI And I want to know, how is it that I can deceive my company and end up stealing money from my company? Gen AI is going to give me all these answers. I'm going to trick it. It, You know, it's not supposed to. It gives me all these answers. gives me great answers. And guess what? I do exactly what it says. And I steal this money from the company, right? I'm getting sued now. Question becomes, if you read the terms and conditions of some of the most popular Gen AI tools that are out there, if you read it, what is there? There's a trail of metadata right? There's a trail metadata. They retain, some of them retain the information in which you are typing in there, some of the, some of the prompts and also may potentially retain the answers. So the question is, is can we authenticate the evidence, i.e. what I typed in there to show that I asked GenIA these questions and it gave me the answers. And then furthermore, is the company that created the GenIA also culpable, responsible in some degree? I asked you a compound question, counselor. I apologize. No,
2: that's uh, that's totally fine. And I think more conceptual answer lies in terms of how we do legal analysis. I, both overseas and in the US, uh, a student of civilian jurisdiction, for me, it's about having a statutory approach, have a rule and apply to all the scenarios versus the common law is more of, okay, we need a case and we need a precedent and then let's go by it. Right? Um, so I'm answering without answering that conceptually it's going to depend. So there is a school of thought. About how do you authenticate, for example, deepfakes? And there is this whole notion of Uranus court that is not, it's a small court in a jurisdiction that doesn't have all the resources and folks have this fake video. Who do you deploy to authenticate it? So one side can say exactly what you're mentioning. Oh, we are going to this dark side of things. It's going to be impossible to work it. On the other hand, those are who more traditionalists and say just use the simple rules and concepts and how we evolved. The notion of Authenticating signatures, hand signatures, is centuries old. So we developed and there are experts who do that. So how is, we just have evolved, right? It, it, somebody said technology is something that wasn't there where you were not born. Well, so it's a new thing and we were going to figure out, but a side note, I agree with you, but I don't believe federal rules currently are designed to handle modern data and not just the AI. It's not there. Um, I, I talked about that we are changing the notion we with in this industry thought of document, custodian, and search terms. What do those mean these days? Is a slack channel communication for third, three days? Is it uh, one day? Is it three days? Mm-hmm. Is it five segments? You have a case that says I'll give you relevant hit plus five exchanges before and after? What is a document? Now, relevant data does not necessarily reside in custodians. It might reside in channel. So, as far as federal rules are concerned, we need to really consider updating them to catch up. Now, having said that, considering the pace, contrarians would say, well, we will never do that. Consider the process it takes to update the rules, and then by the time they are implemented, it's outdated. Yes, that is a, there's a fair point, but we still need to update them. But I'm not worried as much about how we're going to, your example of how we're going to authenticate. You're going to look at the trails and we're going to develop the tools. The same way there is right now race between plagiarism tools and those who detect it. It's going to be a race technology detecting wrongdoing.
1: Well, forgive the non-attorney on the call, but has this never been tested with a search engine before? Of course. So... I think it's the same thing, right? Um, Z, I love something you said though about handwriting analysis though, right? Because that to me is it's it's not science, it's more art than science. And I love the idea that, you know, someday somebody who's gonna be authenticating AI, you know, it leaves room for that art as well, right? Because it isn't going to be an exact science. It never will be, right? Because it is at the end of this day a thinking machine, right? And As much as we'll never truly understand human consciousness, you know, will we ever truly understand machine consciousness? And I think there's going to be, you know, always some subjectivity to that and some room for interpretation to that. And, you know, the idea of a a human mind trying to understand a machine mind is, you know, there's always going to be some interpretation there, and we're going to have, you know, experts on both sides kind of arguing their interpretation of these things. And that to me is fascinating, right? And and it's going to be a, a whole new industry. And I think. You know, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that and seeing how that's going to play out in, in courts in
2: the future on these issues. I think we agree on that. Call me more of an old school. I don't think um, there was this research, I think Pew Research Group did it, which was asking a lot of data scientists and um, um, in the industry, what would be the role of human agency? And I think in terms of controlling decision, tech-aided decision-making. And I think like 55 or 56% said, come 2035, machines will control the decision-making process. And then another, you know, whatever, 45% said, no, humans will still be in charge of this stuff. So, I mean, think we're that the role of human agency. Um, and I think that's what you're alluding to. I still think that role of human agency will continue. I think then that's where the the careers, and I, and I talk to folks who are entering this industry. This is, I mean, 2000, early 2000, when you discovered it was starting, it was fascinating. And and, and we, we got into these roles more serendipitously, for lack of a better expression. But now, this is very different path for folks who want to get into it. It's just an amazing juncture
0: of um, our uh, industry. It's funny you say that. I was just... I was interviewed by uh by uh david Cowan on his podcast and we have that exact conversation z you know we for lack of a better way of putting it we sort of made this stuff up as we went along we had no idea when e-discovery first started because we were still calling it discovery and uh and and we by by force we figured this out but now there's such diversity in the e-discovery world. It's truly outstanding that people are choosing this industry to come into because they find it so utterly fascinating. It it leads into this other question I've got for you. So there's a really great quote. I'm going to read you a quote, and I want to get your reaction. So uh, Andrew Perlman is the dean of Suffolk University Law School. Mm-hmm. And in March of this past year, he was interviewed in an article called The Implications Uh, of ChatGPT for Legal Services and Society. Uh, And it was interesting. He said, AI will not eliminate the need for lawyers, but it does portend the end of lawyering as we know it. What's your gut instinct?
2: I disagree. I think inherently the... I don't think... And then I I, I don't know who said this. If I knew, I would properly attribute, but AI is not replacing lawyering or lawyers. AI is going to replace lawyering and lawyers who do not use AI. This is going to be an augmenting force, not a replacing force in my opinion. Uh, Now, having said that, the the, the crux of that statement is what we consider modern lawyering, uh, because that itself has evolved um, in terms of how we go about things. In the past, I think when you you think about e-discovery and its importance, in fact, in the fact-finding process and all of that a lot of segments, pretty much all segments of lawyering were considered to be art. We come to realize that a lot of now, a lot of those parts can be processized and they can be automated. So by definition, technology already changed in the last 20 years, how we lawyer. But if we are strictly focusing on this gen AI and what it can do, and um, I, I don't think it will eliminate again that human agency, assuming that's what the, the quote kind of implied, I think it's just going to augment and it, it's a supercharge our ability to the lawyer.
1: Z, what roadblocks do you think still exist you know, in terms of getting
0: AI adoption in this next year? So Jared, so you yes. asked Z about what are the roadblocks for AI, but how are you defining AI for lawyers? Is it just the general sense of using conceptual searching and tar is it gen ai because i think that's some of the challenge the roadblocks for for lawyers is really just defining what does that even mean when you say ai
1: well i intentionally left it vague daniel because <laughs> yeah. i feel like most lawyers who ask me ask it in exactly that way
2: <laughs> and i think I'd i'm like going to go yeah i think i'm going to go back to where i started um, our yeah. conversation which is uh when i would Consult and I, as I do on a daily, I'd ask them: Are we speeding up, organizing, exploring, or generating? Right? I think there are different types of roadblocks. Um, if you're talking about tar, where we still have it, we're fighting about: Well, can search terms and tar be combined? We we quote, you know, studies that are from seventies when it comes to searching. Right? So I think we need to do a little bit better. Um, we are more worried about. A particular models rather than saying, Look, at the end of the day, I've reached the precision and recall and everything it looks good from the validation perspective. Those are the top challenges. I think it's going to be very different barriers with respect to the gen AI type because you're talking about here the hallucinating aspects of it. You're talking about bias aspects of it. I think clients are continue to express concern to what extent we rely on those. I think for now it's going to become in using tar analogy, much more initially prioritization tool, It's much more fact-finding and accelerating tool rather than people turning on saying, I've done 10 queries. I have everything where it needs to be and let me turn it over. So, um, I think it, it depends. I, I completely agree with Daniel which, which aspect of AI you're talking about uh, when it comes to barriers. Do you have any predictions for the new year? In terms of the quote that Daniel provided about lawyering, I don't think lawyering will change, but I do think the notion of offshore outsourcing for brute force first level reviews gonna take a significant hit because of Genea. Um and I think we are um, you know, as I'm sure you're following, there are some efforts with respect to additional kind of amendments, the rules, and one of them areas is um, privilege and what type of, you know, we talked about regular logs and categorical, et cetera. Our privilege still remains a very expensive part of discovery. I think we are going to, because how the, the NAI works in terms of actually creating that content based on what's already there that gonna be pre coded and identified um, as work product for various reasons, I think that's second area where we're going to see tremendous savings using Gen ai That's a great
1: prediction. So you think we should be putting resources towards that right now, and that would be a great area to get some return on investment?
2: Yes. I think the notion of, I mean, we will still need your typical statistical validation and, and sampling and to, to do those things. However, because of the first, those two things I mentioned, which is the, the the substantive linear review as on privilege generation, we need to train our folks how to quality control that. This is not your go just look at the document, but understanding trends. Why did particular model classify attorney work product this way, but attorney client privilege that way why it's interpreting third parties to break privilege here but not there. Those nuances re- will require different type of quality control in real time. And I think, yes, time needs to be spent as these things are deployed to shift from more of a brute force to qualitative analysis on higher level reviews.
1: Yeah. Pr- privilege is complicated, right? I mean, yes. we certainly see human beings get it wrong all the time,
2: right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it and 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 again, it's okay. We will I mean, I don't think this is a prediction, but we will, regardless of these tools, we will continue to get it wrong. And yeah. that's okay. I, everyone just should be not to oversell this thing. We're going to get better, but I don't think uh, we will get perfect just because there are you know, LLMs and different Gen AI tools.
0: Is it too soon to be injecting Gen AI into commercial review platforms? The goal is, hey, you don't even need to have, like you're saying, you don't need to have the first level review. Gen AI, based upon an ESI protocol is basically going to say these are the non-responsive documents, and it's going to suggest to, to you why certain documents are responsive why certain documents may be hot docs. Is is it too soon for that? Is that is that no, a danger? That's, well, I th- well it is it too soon from
2: the capability, or is it too soon from defensibility and various? I don't think it's too soon from technology. It's there. Um, and I I mean, again, this is why my first two things I mentioned, I think that's coming. Uh, now, where it's too soon is for the rules to deal with that. Going back to when I said, is it okay to review five documents versus 500 to say, I have done my reasonable inquiry in your hypo- hypothetical, Daniel, if you want to do that, is that meeting the reasonable inquiry criteria? I just loaded up in yes, you know, the, the ESI protocol and said, whatever, Gen AI, how does this shake up, and then I have what I have. I don't think we're ready for it. Well, are we ready from an early case assessment
1: standpoint to just put a chat bot on top of a corpus of documents so you can ask it plain English questions?
2: Yeah. I, I, I Yes. I do think we are from the technology. The other element, and, and I was talking to uh, a colleague was uh, sharing this article is, will we ever reach the point? I don't think this is next year, but um, there are some articles written where the, will, will we have memory chips? Because Daniel, you're talking about taking discovery platforms and discovery technology and going out, so to speak, to hit the models to help and integrate those things. My question is, will the models ever come to your laptop? Right? And the colleague was kind of mentioning that in the past, if you needed the particular graphics, you had to have a different chip and driver, and all this installed, but now you get one computer with all this memory, all this capacity and and all these things that in the past were add-ons all integrated. So will my, whatever the company laptop in three years come in with loaded Gen AI aspects? That to me is, I think you know, it's a fascinating aspect. But in terms of Gen AI coming to discovery platforms,
0: I think we're already there. Some might argue that you you actually did. You have been involved in the very, very early days of e-discovery. In fact, some of the early days of testing Mm-hmm. what we now know as as TAR, Continuous Active Learning, whatever you want to call it, you you were there testing it. Am I correct?
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and it's interesting, while our offices, um, we moved in our um, DC office and I was looking at my, some of my old materials and I said, oh, wait a minute, there is that 2007 early, quote unquote, TAR we did. So it uh, brought a smile to my face, but it reminded me that when folks start saying today, well, you know, AI is here and AI has been here for a long, long
0: time. One other question about your background, which is so interesting to me. So you have a, uh, and I love this, that you have this, you have a green belt of Six Sigma methodology. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, you have a legal project management background as well. What is the benefit for a lawyer and a technologist to also have this background in project management? Because I'm I'm so fascinated because my personal bias here, uh, I, I will admit what my bias is, is that I feel like Every case that a lawyer has is a project that needs to be handled like a project manager, right? But I don't really truly believe that it is. So from your perspective, what made you want to go out and get this, the Six Sigma? What made you want to invest time and resources of your own in understanding project management? So what do you think about Six Sigma? The way kind of you look
2: at it, you lean and then you have Six Sigma, which is if you have in a particular process 20 steps, can we reduce 20 to eight? Great. Now that we're down to eight, this part two is now, can we make these eight as most efficient as possible? The legal project management is more of a what's today, a lot of client driven that not only breaking down in what they call work breakdown structure, but understand your burn rates. And because clients in 2023, these post-financial crisis, obviously so are not only looking at lawyering aspect of it, but being fiscally disciplined and being efficient. So marrying these two together, when you think about the project, I mean, let's take the Lean Six Sigma. It's important and then marry with project management. If you quoted X number of dollars for reviewing million documents, first of all, let's start applying Lean Six Sigma. Do you really need to review million documents? Can we reduce it? Now we're down to 200. What's the best way now to reduce that 200? Those principles, very much help being efficient and disciplined now that's one element of it but then you also quoted the client a million documents whatever it is and whomever with all the resources would cost x number of money are you monitoring where the spend is that resources needs to be shifted you know some risk benefit assessment needs to be made all of those are what i talked earlier Realization that there is in in the entire legal product and legal service delivery, there are portions that can be a project. I know a lot of people hate this word, but commoditized portions of the project. And then if they can be commoditized, then you can process it. That's where those disciplines come in.
0: Do you think that that's a skill that should be uh, taught in law school for future lawyers? Project management, absolutely. I
2: mean, my first thing you learn just generally when you start practicing, and and those of us kind of law school, right? You, you learn in legal research, the, the, the IRAC rule, issue, rule analysis, conclusion. What is the first thing that you work at a firm or in, company, et cetera? The first thing to say, well, what's the conclusion? What's the bottom line, right? Uh, so there is a little bit of, I think, disconnect between coming out from law school, understanding theoretical aspects of law and then actually the practice of it. And I do think print like a business principles, project management principles do bridge that gap of theoretical to practical.
0: That's outstanding. Z, I I feel like uh, we need a part one and a part two. Uh, this conversation, I feel like, has been so good. We could probably end up chatting for another hour. We'll end up like a, one of my favorite podcasts is, uh, about, is a two and a half hour podcast every single episode. Don't want that to happen with this one. Uh,
2: Words, yeah, I don't know about you. I'm
0: not going to let him do that to you. Yeah, <laughs> Jared knows better. Jared <laughs> knows better. He's going to he's going to control me. Um, so now I know who is the 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 Lean Six
2: Sigma on the podcast.
0: <laughs> oh, he's exactly. definitely Jared. He's <laughs> definitely Jared. <laughs> I will pontificate until the sun goes down. Z, it has been a a, a pleasure. Jared, I don't know about you, but uh I, I've just been so fascinated. I've learned a whole lot in this episode here.
1: Really enjoyed it, Z. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've really enjoyed having you. Uh, This has been another great edition of BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast.
2: Thanks again, Z. Thank you for having us and I hope the audience enjoys it.
0: Thanks for joining us on BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. If you're enjoying these podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for more episodes. Head over to BDO.com for a list of all of our episodes, transcripts, resources, and how to get in touch with us to continue the conversation.
1: Until next time, this has been another episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk.